Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Grace. You know, the disciples came to Jesus with a very simple request. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, they had probably learned how to pray when they were little boys, but there was something about the prayer life of Jesus that intrigued them. And so they came with that request, Lord, we want to pray like you. So teach us to pray. I think that's still one of the most common cries and desires on every true Christ follower's heart today. You know, back in the year 2000, a little book came out that was just a bombshell of a book, and it was all about prayer. It was called The Prayer of Jabez, written by Bruce Wilkinson. And when that book first came out in the year 2000, within two years, it had sold over 9 million copies. It's this prayer about an obscure figure in the Old Testament named Jabez who prayed this very bold and audacious prayer to God. And I believe the fact that that little book all about prayer is so popular is just one of many indications that Christians want prayer to be a more meaningful part of their lives. Now, the Bible is filled with promises about prayer. They are incredibly plentiful. I mean, just think about a, a, a few of them as a sampling. You've got passages like Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Those verbs there, ask, seek, and knock, are all in the present active kind of tense and voice, meaning Jesus has in mind there that we're to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Prayer is to be a vital part of our lives. Or consider John 16, verse 24. Jesus said, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. What an incredible invitation. In fact, the little book of James even says, you have not because you ask not. I like this amazing statement on prayer from the little book called 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence, it says, we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, we, we know he hears us. He hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we ask of him. And then, of course, that classic passage, James chapter 5, it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then here's the line we love. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, that's just a little sampling of, of verses. There are literally hundreds of verses in the Bible on prayer, and scores of them give us promises in prayer. The list just goes on and on. I like what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Bible expositor who uh, preached at Westminster Chapel in London for decades, said about prayer. He said, man is at his highest 
when upon his knees, he comes face to face with God. And I think that's right. We're never more noble, never more godly, probably never more Christ-like than when we are humbly seeking God in prayer. But can I make a confession? Sometimes I would like to see more results in my prey. Sometimes I feel like that little boy who tugged on his pastor's coat after the service and said, preacher, you've been preaching and preaching and preaching on prayer, and I want you to know I've been praying and praying and praying. But my Aunt Harriet still isn't married. My Uncle Howard still doesn't have a job. And my dad's hair is still falling out. Preacher, I'm tired of praying and not getting results. Now, do you ever feel like that? But even more than just getting results, because prayer is not about just getting results, do you ever feel blasé with your prayers? Do you ever feel like they're boring? I admitted to you last week that for years, my prayer life was as boring as you can imagine. I prayed the same old things about the same old things. Do you ever feel that way? Hey, question for you. If you would admit that sometimes your prayers are kind of dull, is it because you don't love God enough? I doubt it. I'll bet you do love God. Is it because you don't care enough about the things for which you're praying? I doubt it. I'll bet you care deeply about those things. Here's the problem, I believe. I think it's a problem of method. I think our method is just dull. I think that's why we pray the same old things about the same old things. So I want us to be encouraged today. There's certainly enough things in life to beat us down, I think you'd agree, and discourage us. So I want us to walk away today together encouraged about prayer. Now, there are several different kinds of prayer that I think God wants all of his children to grow in. All who are Christ followers should think about these different kinds of prayer. First, there is public prayer. This is one that freaks a lot of people out. I'm telling you, most people hate public speaking to begin with, but praying in public is a real stress point for a lot of people. I grew up in a little church where it was just our custom that the pastor could call on anyone at any time to stand up impromptu and pray. How would you like it if I did that to you? Would that make you feel good? Would you, would, it would keep you on your, your toes at all times. Would, I could just call anybody's name out and say, stand up and lead us in prayer. And so, <laughs> amen. And so, yeah, it would keep us on our toes. It would keep us alert. But most people aren't really good at public praying, just to be honest. We have a lot of verbal crutches. We are very repetitive. We, we have annoying little ticks and habits when we pray in public. I, I think it ought to be a goal of, especially if you're a leader, especially if you're a small group leader or you're the designated prayer in your family at mealtimes or whatever it might be, I encourage you, I challenge you to grow in your public prayers. But I think Jesus said a whole lot more about private prayer than he did public prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, 
Don't get out on the street corners to be seen by people. Rather, when you pray, Jesus said, notice he said not if you pray, but when you pray. Do you, do you get the assumption there Jesus is making that all of his followers are obviously going to have a private prayer life, okay? So when you do that, I want you to go to your room. Some translations say closet. It's this private place he's talking about. Shut the door and pray to your father who sees in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So again, let me say, if you're a Christ follower today, you know, we're all about not just more disciples, but better ones. And a part of being a better disciple is to grow in your life of prayer. I'll never forget when I first came to Christ as a 13-year-old teenager, brand new Christian, just had repented and yielded my life to Christ, started on this journey. I had no idea what was in front of me. I prayed every morning and every evening. And the way I did it is I knelt beside the bed in my room. That's the way I started every day. As soon as I rolled out of bed, I was immediately on my knees praying. I don't even know where I got the idea, to be honest. And every night before I got in bed to go to sleep, I ended the day with prayer. That's not a bad idea. But whatever your practice is, again, I encourage you, no matter who you are, if Jesus is your Lord, he wants you to be growing in your private prayer time. You may practice journaling to write your prayers out. I do that a lot. But whatever you do, make sure that you're growing in your life of private prayer. But there's a third kind. Public prayer, private prayer. Try this one on for size. Continuous prayer. Do you know the Bible teaches, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, that we are to pray continuously. Pray without ceasing. Now, scholars, you know, talk about what exactly that means, but here's what most Bible students believe that means. It's not talking about you literally have to be mouthing words. That would be impossible, wouldn't it? I mean, it would. There's no way you can pray without ceasing if it means audible words. So most Bible scholars and students believe that the Apostle Paul is talking there about this spirit of prayer where you, where you kind of practice the presence of God, if you will. In fact, there's a famous little book by a guy named Brother Lawrence that Protestant Christians have just eaten up. They love it. Sold millions of copies, practicing the presence of God. And Brother Lawrence, this Carmelite monk, talked about in that book how he senses the presence of God in his life just as surely when he's picking a straw up off the floor of the kitchen or flipping an omelet in the pan there in the kitchen just as much as when he's away at some formal prayer time. Now, that's a powerful statement. What he's trying to get us to understand is, listen, your whole life needs to be a life of worship and prayer. And I believe that while some of you may say, well, pastor, that's one I'm not doing at all. I'll bet you are. I'll bet you are more than you realize. In fact, if you've been following Christ for a while, 
I'll bet that some of you who are mature and growing, you have an unconscious competence in this area. Let me tell you one of the ways I do that. I mean, when I'm about to step out here on this platform, can I be honest? I'm terrified. I really am. And here's what I pray often, and it's just become an unconscious competence now in my life. I just say, God, I don't have anything to say to these people. Not a thing. I have not one single power or ability to change a single life out there. But you do. So God, would you take whatever I say today and drive it supernaturally home to every heart that is listening? And I believe God honors that kind of praying. You see, God wants us to get this unconscious competence where we just go through our day, whether you're at home with your family, whether you're at work at the office, whether you're driving on the road, wherever you are, and you just... You just have this sweet communion with the Lord. I mean, his spirit is in you, right? And so he just wants our lives to be one continuous life of worship and prayer and praise. We're not audibly saying things all the time, but we're just kind of in continual fellowship with the Lord. It's called practicing the presence of God. And my desire is that every single one of us would be growing in all things three of these kinds of prayer. But, but, last week, I introduced a fourth kind, and it's called praying the scriptures. And I was just honest with you last week, very honest. My prayer life was boring, dull, listless, insipid, banal, lacking any sense of power, at least I felt it did, for years. But then one day... I discovered this ancient practice of praying the scriptures, and it took my prayers to higher ground. And as I said last week, it's just too good for me to keep to myself. I've got to share it with you. So what do we mean by praying the scriptures? Some throughout history have called this Lectio Divina. That's sort of the Latin phrase for it. Lectio Divina. That literally means divine reading. Now, I want us to put on the screens here, and this may be jumbled up a bit, I'm not sure, but this, these are the four movements of Lectio Divina. Some of you may want to write these four things down. First, let me give you the old Latin words. Lectio is the reading part. You just read the text. Meditatio is where you think about it. You kind of reflect on it. Oratio is when you pray or you actually speak back audibly to God. And then contemplatio is where you listen, where you receive from God whatever impressions, insights, light bulbs he wants to turn on, whatever he wants to speak to you. So those are the four movements. Lectio, meditatio, oratio, and contemplatio. But if you just want to use normal words, you could just say read, reflect, respond, and receive. Those are the four movements of Lectio Divina. Now, don't let all of that confuse you. 
To put it in a simpler way, this kind of prayer is simply turning the words of Scripture into a prayer. And here's the good news. I believe that that is not only the simplest way to learn to pray, I believe it has a double bonus. You're going to pick up a lot of the Bible in the process. And Lord knows that we really, really need more of that. And the thing I, so many things I love, but one of the things I love about this kind of praying is it takes all the pressure off. You don't have to think about what you're going to say next because the text of Scripture is going to guide you in what you say next, and your prayers will just flow easily as you move from verse to verse to verse. Lectio, meditatio, oratio, contemplatio. Four different movements in prayer. It is so incredibly simple. Now, for over 25 years now, I have gone on at least four prayer retreats a year. My belief is that uh, anytime you're a leader of just about anything, you better carve out some time to get away, to get alone, to really seek God in an intense and deeper way than your normal routine will allow. That's what I believe. So I'll just throw that out there for free. And if you are leaders, I hope you have some time in your life where you just kind of get away from the rat race, the frenetic pace that we're on, and you actually have time to listen to God and spend time in prayer, all right? But I go four times a year, usually two to three days per retreat. And I can just tell you, if I were averaging it out, my experience is that I spend usually at least 10 to 15 hours of that retreat in actual focused prayer actual focused prayer, at least 10 to 15 hours. Now, I, I try to find places where nobody's going to know me. I try to find places where I'm not going to be bothered a lot by people. I try to find places where I'm not going to have to talk to people. It is an introvert's dream. Oh, it's so good. And some of you are horrified by this idea. Some of you extroverts, you can't imagine going 30 minutes without talking to people. Oh, I love going for days. Just God in me, God in me, one-on-one, -on -one, face to face, prayer. Now, people hear that and they go, Keener, dude, how can you possibly spend hours in one day praying. I struggle praying even five minutes. Simple. I let scripture tell me what I'm going to pray. I just pray through chapters of the Bible. I pray through dozens of Psalms. I pray through the gospels and the stories and the life of Jesus. And I let the text Tell me what I'm going to pray so the pressure's off. I'm not some prayer giant. I am not brilliant enough to think of enough things to pray about to fill hours of time. The text tells me what I'm going to pray, and the Spirit prompts me. Lectio, meditatio, oratio, contemplatio, and I listen for the voice of God. That's what I do on those prayer retreats, and I promise you, that if you choose to take this challenge and begin to pray this way, you will never again pray the same old things about the same old things. 
Now, I want to give you a special challenge right now. I'm going to encourage you to particularly focus on the Psalms when you pray. You can pray any passage, right? I told you that last week. That is true. But as I said, some are better than others. So I would encourage you to start with the Psalms if you're looking for a place to start. God gave us the Psalms so we could give them back to him. Did you hear that? One of the main reasons God gave us the Psalms that are inspired in the Bible is so that we could turn them back to him in words of praise and prayer. Think about this for a moment. Every range of human emotion is represented in the Psalms. What are you feeling today? It's represented in the Psalms, I'll guarantee you. Are you feeling a bit angry today? Because you've got some enemies who are stabbing you in the back and doing you wrong and it's unjust and they're trying to mess your life up. Hey, pray for them. Pray for them. Psalm 109. Pray the very words of Scripture. May his days be few, Lord. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May his, no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Wow, I feel better already. Yeah, I feel better already. You say, Pastor, do you really pray that? I have. You got any, you got any people in your life you want to pray that kind of prayer for? David did all the time. Read the, have you read the Bible? Bust their teeth out, God, break their jaw. That's the kind of prayers David prayed for his enemies. Now, we're Christians. And Jesus said, love your enemies, right? So, oh, Jesus. I'd rather pray that kind of prayer for my enemies. So you always want to take that kind of psalm, called him, well, you want to take that kind of psalm and you want to put it through a Christocentric lens, Okay, and ask Jesus to temper your feelings and your anger and help you work through that in a way that'll glorify God. So whatever your emotion, there's a psalm for you. Are you happy? Are you grateful? Is your heart brimming over today with thanksgiving because God is so good? Wow, do I have some psalms for you. Try Psalm 100 on, for example. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. My goodness, there's all kinds of psalms for you. So are you feeling today a bit downcast or discouraged or restless? Are you feeling forgotten or cynical or discontented or confused? Trust me, there's something in the Bible for you to pray. I like the way Don Whitney puts it. This is an amazing statement he makes. He said, God has inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. Isn't that a great statement? God has inspired a psalm for every sigh of the soul. And that is true. Now, you may ask, well, pastor, obviously you're pretty high on this way of praying, but who has prayed this in the past? Hey, let me go there for just a minute. 
Some of the people who prayed this way were the early desert fathers. That's those austere, very disciplined people who saw prayer as their primary calling in life. And boy, they would go away in desert places and just seek God in prayer. They prayed with this sort of scripture-based praying. The Protestant reformers were big on this. The Puritans were big on this. So if you appreciate some of that spirituality, then you ought to appreciate scripture praying because that's what they did. So monks and ministers and missionaries of every different denominational stripe have used this kind of scripture praying. I'll tell you someone else who did it, George Mueller. I hope that name rings a bell. I quoted him back on Easter. His name is synonymous with a life of prayer and faith. God did so many awesome things through George Mueller's life. But can I tell you his testimony? It is well documented. George Mueller testified that for the first 10 years of his Christian life, his prayers were dull and banal. He said, I would go to prayer and my mind was all over the place. I couldn't focus. Sometimes I would spend 30 minutes or an hour and got nowhere. He said, I tried to kind of foster this spirit of prayer in me, but nothing worked until one day I discovered that I needed to start with the word. And when I started with the word, he said, and let the word of God become my prayers and let my prayers spring out of the very words of scripture, he said, I scarcely ever suffered with those problems again in prayer. I believe that Jesus himself prayed this way. When he was on the cross, as you know, he made seven declarations as declared in Scripture. And the way this worked, a crucifixion victim had to push up on the spikes in the feet in order to get enough air in the diaphragm in order to say something audibly. Crucifixion was basically death by suffocation, by asphyxiation. You, you smothered to death, if you will. And so in order to get breath in your diaphragm, you had to push up, and that was excruciating to do. And so every time Jesus said something, he was probably pushing up on the spikes in his feet in order to say that. And so when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was praying scripture. And I cannot prove this, but I am thoroughly convinced that when he sank back down, he continued to pray line by line through Psalm 22, which, by the way, has more details about the physical aspects of crucifixion than all four Gospels combined. He was praying to his father through Psalm 22. And then Right toward the end, before he breathed his last, Jesus, I think, pushed up one final time on those spikes in his feet, and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What was he? He was praying scripture directly out of Psalm 31, verse 5. And the early Christians certainly practiced this. You read in the book of Acts, all they went through, you read in chapter 4, how Peter and John were arrested for preaching Christ. And the Bible says in verse 23, upon their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. 
Notice their prayer. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. What were they doing? They were praying the scriptures. Those are direct quotes out of Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and Psalm 146, verse 6. So here's my final plea. If monks and ministers and missionaries have prayed this way, if Protestant reformers and Puritans have prayed this way, if George Mueller and Jesus himself and the early Christians in the book of Acts prayed this way, don't you think it's about time that you gave it a try? So I'm going to end today by just praying. And again, I, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I've not planned it in any way. But I'm going to invite you to listen in if you want. Now, again, I can't model all the listening I would do because it would take too long. But I hope you know that there's going to be more contemplatio when I'm in my private prayer time at home, okay? And I'm going to do this slower than I do it now. But I'm just going to pray for you. I'm, I'm praying out of Philippians 1, and they aren't going to be on the screen. But God, thank you that you yourself are spurring me on to pray for your kingdom, cause, and for your people. I thank my God every time I remember you. Wow, there are so many people I can say that about. God, you bless me immensely. I have brothers and sisters in my life where I can honestly say, every time I think of them, my heart springs with joy and thanksgiving because of who they are in my life. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Ah, for these 28 years, there are so many faithful men and women that have been in partnership with us. I'm so grateful for them. Some of them have sweat blood for this church and for your kingdom and for your gospel. They have given and sacrificed and served, and they have prayed, and they have ministered in your name. Lord, would you let them know you are thrilled with their efforts? Would you put your touch on them today? Thank you for their partnership in the gospel. Thank you for their faithfulness to you. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What a day that will be, the day of Christ Jesus. That's when you return. We long for that day. We long for the day when you will return and every wrong will be made right and justice will finally reign and your will will be done on earth completely as it is in heaven. But until that day, would you... Encourage me, encourage the people of grace that the good work you've started in them, you're not going to give up on it. And they can be confident because you are going to do that work. You're not going to 
stop what you started. I'm amazed, Lord, about your faithfulness. I'm amazed at how faithful you are to your people. Lord, would you really drive this home, though? Because some people today are so discouraged, they feel like giving up. Would you show them you're not giving up on them? Would you show them that the good work you started, you're going to keep on doing it right to the very end? It's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. What a blessing to have dear brothers and sisters in my heart. I thank you, God, that being a pastor has never become a profession for me. It's a passion. It's just, it's just what I would do no matter what. Thank you for those that I have in my heart who I know are on this journey, looking to you, seeking you, and we get to spur one another on for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. All of you. God, I thank you for that grace that flows from the cross. The ground is level there at the foot of the cross, and it doesn't matter today what our ethnicity, what our race, it doesn't matter what our age or socioeconomic status or educational level, it doesn't matter about our pedigree or our past. Ground is level because of your grace at the foot of the cross. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So those who have a good pedigree, Father, in the body, would you help them not to get puffed up? Because it's just your grace by which they stand. And those who have a sketchy past, would you help them not to get down about that? Because after all, it's just by your grace that they stand to begin with. Thank you for your grace that flows from the cross. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Lord, would you cause the love of the people of grace to abound and grow but it takes wisdom to really love. It takes knowledge and depth of insight. Because they face so many questions today. It must be a confusing time to be a Christian. Because there's voices all over declaring the way to go. Even Christians disagreeing harshly. Which way should I turn? What should I do? What's important today? Mask, no mask, vaccinated, not vaccinated. Physical worship again, oh, maybe not yet. Is the end near? Where should our focus be? Where should our priorities lie? Lord, would you give your people insight and depth to discern these things so they'd be able to discern what is best? Because there's a big difference between the best and what is merely good. And finally, Lord, would you make them filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I pray there'd be such fruit in our lives, Father, the people of grace, that just like this says, it would be fruit that brings glory to God. I pray that as people encounter us, they would think more of you because of their acquaintance with us. 
May there be such a pleasing aroma to our lives, the aroma of Christ, that would be unmistakable that we've been with Jesus as your people, Father. That's what I'm asking you to do in this community. That's what I'm asking you to do in this church, that you would bring glory to yourself through your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.